talking about uh, preparing ourselves for Jesus' return. Are you excited about Jesus coming back? You know, that's going to rock your world when he comes back, and it's going to rock the whole world when he comes back, right? And uh, so uh, this is taking some time. This is lesson number nine, and uh, just to cut right to the chase, uh, now is the time to prepare for what is coming. I notice when I listen online to the faith community, particularly in the United States, the two veins of thinking about Jesus coming. You know, wherever you stand, you stand. I know where I stand with this. I taught the entire book of Revelation a couple of years ago. It's on our website, and I still have people listening to it. Believe it or not, it took 38 lessons. Uh, it's over 30 hours of teaching. Nonetheless, uh, there are those that have the belief system that we will not be here during the hard time, that God's going to whisk us away in the rapture of the church. That's called the pre-tribulation rapture. You may be in that camp, and, and if you are, I'm happy for you. Uh, I'm not in that camp. Uh, uh, years ago, back in 2010, God ro rattled my cage and uh, dealt with me about what I had been preaching for 25-plus years. And uh, now I believe we're going to be here for a period of time during that seven years that Daniel talked about that people call the tribulation time. Uh, having said that, how many know it's, it's best to be prepared for what's coming? So you say, well, pastor, I'm not preparing because I'm going up. And I say, well, I hope that's true. And if it's true, I'll be giving you a shout on the way up. But if that's not true, when we happen to be here for a period of time during those seven years, come and see me. I got something to say. My, 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 uh, my concern is there'll be some really disillusioned people if they get up morning after morning and it gets worse and worse into those seven years and, and Jesus hadn't come back yet. They're going to think, what in the world? Well, come and see me. Is that all right? So anyway, talking about the time period just before Jesus comes, how many know this is time to get close to the Lord, yes? It's time to give your heart to him. It's time to get his word into you. Really serious, it's time to get serious about the Bible. Memorize scripture. If you don't memorize scripture, you're missing at least half your life, if not all of your life. Memorize scripture. I started memorizing scripture way back in 1976 when I came to the Lord. And the word that I memorized transformed my life, and it continues to do so today. And make yourself available again to hear the word on a constant basis. Get involved. If you're a part of Victory Church, get involved in our small groups because we need each other. Uh, men, 6.30 on Tuesdays, we have a group meeting for an hour right in here with a cup of coffee. coffee. So uh, anyway, get involved with others. Get involved with friendships. Get involved in our Victory Serve team. Don't be an island to yourself. This is not a time to isolate. This is a time to gang together and be brothers and sisters, right? but pursue and press into God. Um, the last three Sundays I've been uh, talking about uh, really how we overcome the challenges both now and which, that which are, is to come uh, just before Jesus returns. And the, the, the element that causes us to overcome is faith. So we've been talking about faith for the last three Sundays and I want to continue that today, and this is probably the last Sunday I'll be on that subject. But, uh, you know, faith is uh, as the element that will help you overcome every obstacle and help you overcome when the challenges um, uh, rise. I've covered four points in detail the last three Sundays. First one is the New Testament uh, emphasizes living by faith. We say these things generically. But I teach because I want you to know what that means. Living by faith is living by the standard of God's word and believing that God's word is true when it looks like it's not true, right? In fact, uh, the victory that overcomes all of the elements around us, 1 John 5, 4 says, is our faith. We're saved by faith, Ephesians 2. We live by faith, Romans 1. We have a shield of faith, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we fight by faith, Ephesians 6, 12. You know, we, we receive the Holy Spirit by faith. Everything that we do with God has to do with faith. In fact, Hebrews eleven six says, you can't please him without the stuff, so he gives you a measure of it when you come to Jesus. I mean, how can you beat that, right? 
If he said you need faith, he says, here it is. When you come to Jesus, you got it. Now he wants you to use it and exercise it in life, right? So the New Testament emphasizes faith. Secondly, living by faith means uh, taking God at his word, even when you don't see it working or feel like it's making a difference. And I've mentioned 2 Corinthians 4.18, New Living Translation. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. I'll slow down in a minute. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things which we see now will soon be gone. The things which we cannot see will last forever. Third point over the last three weeks is living by faith means believing that right now what God says in the Bible is true, even when it contradicts what you see and what you feel. And I've gone over in detail Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 which is the, um, the author of Hebrews' Treaty on Faith, uh, New King James says, now, everybody said, now faith. If it's not now, we emphasize it's not faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, now abides faith, hope, and love. These three, the greatest is love, but you see, you need hope. Hope is something you're wanting. It's a desire. It keeps you from getting depressed, despondent, and giving up. Everybody needs hope. Before you can have faith, how many know you got to have hope? I've been to minister to people many, many times since I've been in ministry and since 1981, and I could tell I couldn't pray for them. First thing I had to do was help them, help them get their hope up so, they, so they, would, they could see that life could be different than they're experiencing at the present, right? So once you have hope, you got faith grabs hope, which is in the future. I hope one day things will be better. And faith grasps it and says, right now, I believe God's answered. I believe God's come through. Even though I can't see it, even though I can't feel it, doesn't look like it's happening. You know what? God is ministering life to me now. Three things we found in that verse in Hebrews 11.1. 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Number one, like I said, faith is now. Secondly, faith is like a title deed to a parcel of property that you own. And, and that tells you that even though you can't see it, it exists. Susan, I own some property in another state, inherited, and uh, we, we, have the, we have the title deed. Our families have the title deed that it belongs to us. You know, you may never see the property, but it exists because the title deed says so, right? Or you could buy an automobile in one of these places online. And, uh, you know, you look at it and, you know, you got all the video that show you in and out and, you know, 360 of the car and you read all the things about the car from a person that's talking about. So, well, I'm going to buy that car. How do you know it exists? There's a title deed, right? And so faith is a title deed that what you've, that's what you're trusting God for actually exists in your life, even though at the moment you can't see it and that you can't feel it. Then thirdly, faith is evidence. It's the evidence that what you've asked for actually exists. We've gone into great detail. I can't go into more detail on that today. Go back and listen online. We have plenty there. Uh, I, in fact, I love New Century version of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we don't see it. Isn't that great? And then this quote from J. Oswald Sanders. He's a wonderful author and a wonderful man of God who's in heaven now. He said, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present. Everybody say the future is present. Now, isn't that cool? You know, what happens if you do that? You can't, be, you can't continue to just be down in the dumps. You know that God's come through for you, right? Treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Wow. That's what the people in the Bible did, right? So you, you think as though whatever you ask the Lord for is already yours. You speak as though whatever you ask God for is yours. And as much as you can act, and we'll talk about that today, as though what you believe you receive uh, from the Lord is yours. Now, our job is to stand in faith until what God has promised manifests in our life. And that keeps us from being down in the dumps. In fact, that gives us joy, right? Right? Huh. Number four, fourth point from the past three weeks is faith and words are inseparable. There is no faith without words. If you're not saying anything about it, you really don't believe it, right? So I really want to get off into that again, but I just don't have time today. If it never comes out of your mouth or if there's a mixture of doubt, 
with hope, all right, uh, uh, then you're not really acting in faith. Faith uh, uh, comes on the conveyor belt, so to speak, of words from our heart. If it never comes out of your mouth, is it in your heart? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So, so if I'm not saying it, I'm probably not believing it. James compared words to the bit in a horse's mouth that uh, the bridle is attached to and you can control the horse's movement or the rudder in a ship on the back of a ship, the helmsman turns the ship. And so our words determine the course of life. Is that right? And then Jesus mentioned uh, words when he gave a, a lesson of faith to his disciples in Mark 11. We looked at this last week, and he actually uh, cursed a fig tree that should have had some little small fruit growing on it along with the leaves, but didn't. And he just simply uh, said, spoke to the tree, no, let no man eat fruit of you ever again. And his disciples heard him say it, and, and the tree withered. They, they spent a day out of town, come back into Bethany, and they said, whoa, Jesus, what happened? And then Jesus said, uh, Mark eleven twenty three, and he gave him a treaty on faith, just an example of what faith does. Whoever says to the mountain, the mountain being the problem, whoever says to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, he'll have whatever he says. So he said, says three times, and believing one time. See, it's three times as important to say what you believe as it does to believe. Y'all get that? So see, you should be introspecting. What, am, what are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about the various areas of life? What are you saying about your finances, your health, your future, your present, your job, your, your family, your children, uh, your, your, your bride-to-be or your husband-to-be or whatever, right? What are you saying about it? Well, ain't nothing happening for me. Well, that's great. That's what you're going to have. Huh? Nothing ever works out for me. Well, that's what you're going to have. Nobody cares about me. Well, you know what? They probably won't. See, what do you want? Don't say what you have. Say what you want. That's what Jesus said, right? So we looked at that last week in fair detail. Today, the fifth thing about faith, and I'll conclude the faith part of this with this, with this today. Faith must have corresponding actions or it's dead. You got to get it. Before I talk about actions that correspond with faith, I need to mention something because I've had a couple of people say some things and by them saying what they said the way they said, I could tell they were struggling with what I've been talking about with faith. And let me just say, we're geared, you know, we as humans are geared to, uh, to go by what we can see and feel, right? We're geared to let our flesh rule us, right? So, and, and we're living in the three-dimensional world, so you, you better watch where you're walking. You might stumble into something. So, I mean, we're constantly accustomed to believing what we can see, believing what we can hear. And, you know, we don't want to discount our five physical senses, but when it comes to receiving from God, you don't receive from God by listening to the physical senses like we're accustomed to every day, all day. You receive from God by believing what he said in his word when your physical senses can't pick it up, right? It's the way it works. So, so um, uh, I just noticed that in talking to people, some people really struggle just with faith in general. And, and if you're struggling with the things I've taught over the past three weeks, now let me, let me say this. The number one thing that you need to do to receive faith is get in the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I mentioned this uh, Wednesday night briefly, but I need to mention this again today. Faith doesn't come by praying. You can't say, oh, God, please increase my faith. That won't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. And you can't say, oh, you can't have, go to your friends. I need 100 people to pray that my faith will increase. Or if I can get 1,000 people, you can get on the internet, get on Facebook, all my Facebook friends, pray that my faith will increase. That just doesn't work. No, no, it's very, very practical. Faith comes, faith comes uh, along with knowledge. The more knowledge I have, the more ability or the, the, uh, the, the ability to have faith comes, right? Uh, it comes from the Word. So the Word builds up like an inward confidence in God, and that inward confidence in God is called faith. You know, if you've got a friend 
Maybe a lifelong friend. It's great if you have a lifelong friend that you can trust, right? Or maybe there's a person that's come into your life over the last while, and well, that person you know is a person of integrity. That's a person that's trustworthy. You can believe what they say, and so to speak, you can take it to the bank. If they said it, they'll do it. If they asked me, if, if they said they'd do something for me, they're just going to do it. They always follow through. How many know you have confidence in that person? See, see, you should have even more confidence that God will do what he said. But the problem with God is the water's muddied. And often we want things and, and we expect things from the Lord, that, and then they'll happen. And then we have what, we, what some people call faith failures, and it doesn't work. And they say, well, why pray? It's kind of like God going to do what he's going to do anyway. So why do I need to pray? No, 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 no. You're probably not doing it right. You understand? I expect my prayers to get answered. Do you? You know, uh, I guess it's expected of my position that I'm a praying person. But, you know, even if I wasn't a pastor, before I became a pastor, I was a praying person. I learned to pray before I got in ministry. And you know what? When I pray, I expect God to answer my prayers. And if my prayers aren't being answered, I, I start asking questions. Uh, about myself, I say, Lord, what am I not seeing I need to see? I know if, I, if a prayer is not being answered, I've asked the Lord for something. Is this okay to talk about? So if I've asked the Lord for something and it's not coming through, somebody needs to start changing. And since God never changes, I'm the one that needs to change, right? So I say, Lord, what do I need to do differently? Is there something I'm not doing right? Is, am I thinking the wrong way? You know, uh, is there something about my life or lifestyle I need to change? What is, what is blocking, you know, I've asked this. It ain't happening, right? So, so the, the first thing is, is if you're not receiving answers to prayer, get in the Word. Sometimes we ask beyond our ability to believe. And, and if you do that, you're going to struggle. So, so let me say it again. If you're struggling with faith, first thing to do is get in the Word. 1976 is when I came to the Lord. I turned 18 that October, and uh, and honestly, I, I didn't I didn't didn't mean to do it this way, but I just started memorizing scripture because my mind. You ever had a mind that's in the gutter? It don't think nice. Mine was that way because of my years of of uh, abusive living. But you know what I found? I found the antidote to that was if I would memorize scripture, I can make you can make yourself think on what you want to think on. Your mind doesn't have to control you. You should control your thoughts. Now, I've got a book on that, Change Your Mind to Change Your Life, so go read the book. But the, the point is, you, you should be telling your mind what to think. And if your mind is telling you what it's going to think, you've got a problem. And your life is not going to be nice because everything and its cat is going to come into your mind and is going to dominate what you think and whatever you think, you're going you're gonna to work out in your life some way, right? So I need to protect the eye gate, need to protect the ear gate into my thoughts, right? I need to protect what I listen to. There's some things I refuse to listen to because they affect my faith. There's some movies I won't go look at because they'll affect my faith, and I'll just have to weed all. It's like, you know, you plant, plant a garden, and that garden's really nice to start with, but the weeds start growing. If you're not careful, the weeds will overtake the plants, and then get into the root system of the plant, and then the plant won't develop as it should. You won't have a good crop of green beans, right? So what you got to do? <laughs> Root out the weeds. And that's what you've got to do with thinking. So for me, as a young person, I just, I just memorized Scripture just like Jesus. i got to stop thinking this mess. This is junk. This is crazy. Because two hours would go by, and I'm thinking, oh, I said, Jesus, my head's in the gutter. Where'd it come from? Where'd it? Well, it come from all those years of living and, and putting trash in my head, right? Well, if you've got a trashy head, you'll have a trashy life. Huh? How do you have a good life? Change what you're thinking. How do you do that? Get in the Word. So, I, honest, I started, I started memorizing Scripture. I didn't, again, I don't, I don't even know if I meant to do it. It's like, I'm desperate. You ever been desperate? Desperate people do desperate things. And I got desperate enough, you know, if you're going to change the pain to, rem to change has to be, uh, the pain to remain the same has to be greater than the pain to change, right? So when you get fed up with yourself, so I'm, oh, dadgummit, I'm done. 
And that's where I was when I came to Jesus. Like I'm, I was just 18. I don't even live in 18 years. That's like, geez, I'm done already? Really? I got a lot more living to do. I started memorizing scripture. Listen, I'm not kidding. You say, well, I can't memorize. You lie. Or something's lied to you. <laughs> you can memorize if you want to. Huh? Right? Let me just take that scripture I just read. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just start saying that. Read it. Read it 10 times. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Over and over. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So then faith comes by, and then try to say it. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So, so that's how you memorize, or, or just try to memorize the first. So then faith, what's the name? Comes. So then faith, right? So you can memorize. If you'll memorize scripture, it'll get inside of you. And then what you memorize, if you'll think about it in rote, let it revolve over and over in your head. Here's what happens. Meditation in the word, not metaphysical meditation where you get a mantra and go, nah, 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 and act like a brain numb dead person. No, you put the word in your head. Let it go over and over and over. And here's what happens. The word that's here drops right down to your heart. And then you'll start believing it. And y'all, <laughs> there is a, a reaction to the word when you meditate. How many hear me? And it, it'll change your life. It'll change the quality of your life. <laughs> I'm living proof, I'll tell you. So, so meditate in the word if you're challenged with faith. Second thing about this, and I listen carefully to this one. Uh, you can't always get your faith to work for someone else. Now, here's a big problem in the family of God. Well, if I can get a 1,000 people to pray for me, I'm going to get on Facebook. Here's my prayer request, da-da-da-da-da. I need a 1,000 people. Get your friends to pray. If everybody prays at one time, it kind of connects with God, right? It doesn't work that way. God will pass over a million people if you'll trust him and believe him. You remember the woman with the issue of blood? There was, there was crowds, uh, New King, uh, the King James Bible said they were thronging Jesus. That, mean, that means they were pushed. You ever been in a crowd? You know, I've been in those, uh, what do they call them in Latin America? Chicken buses. You ever been in a chicken bus? Those bus, oh, and I've been in them in India too. And man, you're butt to butt. You're, <laughs> you're cheek to cheek. <laughs> it was just four of you when you started. I was in Latvia in 1993, and we had this trolley going across town, and uh, we hung on, you know, to this little belt thing and that was attached to a rock, and just two or three of us, and it kept stopping ever, you know, ever, you know, 500 feet. It's like it stopped, and by the time, and we got two miles to go, and man, by the time we got to where we're going, it's like, Jesus, I can't breathe. And then I got this, this woman's got her hand up, and she didn't shave her armpit. That's right. I'm saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I know, right? Now I forgot what I was talking about. That was really off the wall. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Woman with the issue of birth, they were thronging her. They were pressing her, see? But then in the middle of all that, Jesus said, somebody touched me. And his disciples said, you crazy, man, you crazy. Look at all these people. We can't even move. We're butt to butt. We cheat to cheat. And he said, somebody touched me. For I felt virtue go out of me. Wow. See, it's the touch of faith. It doesn't take a million people praying or a thousand or a hundred or five. It takes you believing God. Do you get it? So if you think your faith's going to work with, for someone else, it may, it may not. Now, here's what I found in my experience of life this year, this month, uh, September 12th. I will have been with Jesus for 47 years. And in 47 years of life, here's what I found out. There's some people that I could pray for if they would agree with me. Here's what I found out. If I'm praying for somebody and asking the Lord for something, and I pray with them. Many times I'll grab their hands because Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth that's touching anything they ask, it'll be done, right? So I grab their hands and say, we're denoting that we're agreeing by the physical touch of, of our hands grabbing each other. And we agree in Jesus' name is touching this, this, or this, or this. Now, I pray that way many times with people. If I can get the person to agree with me and agree with my faith as I pray, we can get the prayer answered. 
but if but if I uh, but if I pray with them and then see them a couple of days later and they say something like, "Well, I don't know. I know you pray, but I don't know. I just know we failed." They will not receive. You get it? Because there's no agreement there. You can't speak doubt and fear and walk in faith at the same time. The doubt and fear cancels faith, right? So, so sometimes you can pray for other people and your faith can work for them. Uh, many times it won't because watch this now. Uh, check this out. Check, I want you to think about this. Uh, do you expect your children to grow? Uh, do you expect a one-year-old to clothe themselves? Do you expect a three-year-old to start clothing themselves? Do you expect a five-year-old to both feed and clothe themselves? Do you expect a six-year-old to both bathe, clothe, and feed themselves? Do you expect an eight-year-old to clean the room? Huh? So age appropriately, you know, God expects the same thing out of us. But we got 15-year-old babies in the family of God. Want somebody to still spoon feed them, put a bottle in their mouth. Wah, wah, right? And, and see, it's hard to pray the prayer of faith for someone who should have applied themselves but didn't. And now the culture of America is, I want you to do it for me. I can't do it for myself. And we're getting worse, right? So if you're going to walk with God, you just got to understand, God, God didn't give away his standards when America did. Sila. That means pause and calmly think about that. So again, so you can sometimes you can get faith to work for someone else, sometimes you can't. But you can always get faith to work for you, right? Right? And then sometimes you don't know why if you pray for someone else it doesn't work. And you just know somewhere they're not making connection. And again, I've had uh, I've had people better than me that didn't do do it right and, and lost out, didn't get answers to prayer in lots of ways. Uh, but here's me. I know, and see, I, I don't know them, so I can't examine that unless I can ask them a lot of questions. And I'm not God, and I can't judge them, right? So don't be judging other people, correct? But see, I can always talk to the Lord about me. You can always talk to the Lord about you. And you should always expect, I expect every prayer I pray to get answered. I didn't mean to get into all this. Here's come. I was teaching on prayer. You know, you know, it takes me, watch this. It takes me longer to figure out how to pray and what God wants me to pray than to pray itself. Right? It, it takes me longer to figure out, God, do you want me to pray about this? Do you want me to have this? Lord, do you want me to pray about that circumstance or this, that, this thing? Right? Now, when it comes to my physical body, it doesn't take as long because he's already showed me his will. He wants me well. If the enemy attacks my physical body, he wants my body well. And then sometimes I have to make adjustments. If I'm praying for healing and healing doesn't come, I have to start asking what's going on. And the Holy Spirit may be speaking, don't eat so much. Get your duff off the, off the get your backside off the, off the chair and get up and go walk and exercise, right? Huh? Put the fork down. Quit eating three, three bowls of ice cream in one sitting. Stop. Right? Right? So, you know, listen to him. And see, a lot of people, they just want to do what they do, make no changes, and God does everything for them. And that's why it doesn't work. How many get that? So I'm teaching faith, but I want you to know something. Faith is extremely practical. And you'll find God is extremely practical with you and your life. He wants you blessed. He wants things to work. He wants to bless everything you set your hand to do. He wants your body to be well. He wants your relationships to be good and tight. He wants you to be successful in life. He wants you to be full of joy. But to do that, you got to make a lot of changes. Huh? Don't forget, we got this person called Parakletos. It's the comforter. He's the Holy Ghost. He's in you. And he'll be talking to you lots of times and we don't want to hear what he's saying. Right? You just don't know how many times I lay hands on people and know full well when I lay hands on them for healing and such. This person's got to make some changes. If they're not willing to make the changes, this is not going to stick. Right? They can get healed, come right back. Because you keep doing the same things that exacerbate or stretch the problem. Right? So anyway, word to the wise on that. That's just said too much. Get that? 
Uh, there is intercession and supplication. See, I pray that way for people. If I've, I'm not sure I can pray the prayer of faith with a person, I'll get off by myself and pray for them. Intercede means to take another person's place. And you can say, Lord, I'm standing in the gap. I'm interceding for so-and-so because they have this problem. And I don't think they're doing the things necessary to receive from you. So let your mercy come. And I just pray for them a while. Just pray, just pray, just pray. And I supplicate. Supplicate means to beg a favor for another. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm asking you to do this out of your grace and mercy. Not because they can help themselves. It looks like they can't help them, Right? But praying the prayer of faith, that's a very personal thing. So my, my number five is faith must have corresponding actions. It's not just enough to believe. Do you get that? You got to do more than believe to receive from God. You got to act like you believe. In fact, the devils, now think of this, demon spirits believe so in God so strongly that they just shake in their boots. But it doesn't do them any good. Because they don't have actions with their faith. James 2.19. You believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Wow. They say, well, I believe God. Well, you can say, well, you're at least doing what the devil's doing. <laughs> huh? Oh, I believe in God. Well, good. The devil does. What you going to do with it? A lot of people believe but do nothing with it. I'm a little edgy, so I'm just here we go. Y'all Okay. Faith, if it's going to bring results, has to have corresponding actions. Listen, the practical half-brother of Jesus, James, his actual name was Jacob. In the Bible, it's, in the, you know, it's called James. James 2.17, New Century Version, great translation. In the same way, faith by itself that does nothing is dead. Wow. Someone might say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without doing anything. And I'll show you by my, uh, by my faith, my faith by what I do. And then, of course, I just said that you believe there's one God, good. But demons believe that too, and they tremble with fear. You foolish person, must you be shown that faith that does nothing is worth nothing? Whoa, isn't that something? So, so again, verse 26 um, of that uh, same translation, New Century Verse, and just as a person's body that does not have a spirit is dead. Now, that's strong. So faith that does nothing is dead. So see, when I read something like that, the first thing I think is, do I have a live faith or do I have dead faith? What does dead faith do? Nothing. <laughs> what does a live faith do? It talks. It acts, it expects, but dead faith, it does nothing. So let me cut to the chase here, man. If you have prayed, watch this now, and asked Jesus to forgive and cleanse your sins, we'll put this on a very low, practical level, but there's nothing in your life that ever changes. Now, in America, all over America, we have church services like we have today, and people are, if you want to make Jesus, so just raise your hand, pray that prayer with me, pray the prayer. And then the person goes, oh, and they ain't changed the iota. You know what an iota is? It's one of the smallest uh, digits in the Greek language. <laughs> they haven't changed a bit. Huh? So if you've prayed and asked Jesus to forgive and cleanse sin, but there's nothing in your life that ever, ever changes, then that's dead faith. Now you have to ask yourself the question, obviously. Well, I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior. Have you changed? Or you keep tooling around with the same people, saying the same stuff, doing the same stuff, drinking the same stuff, talking the same stuff, huh? Laying around, sleeping around, huh? And you never even feel convicted. Got it? Now, now that's called dead faith. Right? A lot of people will say, Lord, Lord, Jesus said, I never knew you. See, why did he say that in Matthew 7? That's a person that has dead faith. That is, they say they believe, but they have no actions that correspond with what they believe. Right? So I know saying all that, oh, Jesus, man, I mean, pastor, you're making this mighty hard. I mean, I've done some of the same things I did before I knew Jesus. Hadn't everybody? But the difference is you don't want to anymore. 
Jesus takes the want to to go where you used to go out of you. And when you try to go there, you messed up and you know you did. And your conscience is strong and the conviction is serious, right? If there's no conviction and you can just live like you did before, it's dead faith. You get it? I don't know if I can say this one. Uh, so <clears throat> I've, I've uh, preached lots of funerals. And did you know since 1981, I've done a lot. Lots. And there's a lot of family members that have come up to me and say, well, you know, so-and-so is a person of faith. And you know what I'm about to say. I, I just never saw any evidences of it. Well, I had faith in that's a he was a good boy. She she was a good girl, you know. All parents think that way. I'm a parent four times over and got eight grandkids. I think they all hung the moon and the star, a few couple of stars too. And they straighten the sun up when it's out of kilter, you know. But huh? If you a stinker and nobody would accuse you of being saved. from your sin because of how you live if there's no evidence that you ever named the name Jesus except when you was eight years old you said I accept Jesus you got dead faith how many understand that that's religious faith yes or no see I want to do this enough to make you think now now let me look at the other side of the coin I know the scripture says Ephesians 2 8 9 see there's a lot of people go wait a minute Pastor Moore you're saying I'm saved my mom. No, no, I'm saying what you do shows what you believe. If what you do never changes, you didn't believe. Because your belief will change what you do. It'll change your mouth. It'll change your body. It'll change you. It'll change your convictions, right? So, so if, you, if, you never, if you never change, I say there's, there's dead faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I know by grace you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. See, faith is and, and great, it is not of works. Salvation is not of works, lest anyone should boast, right? That's true. But on the other hand, if you have faith, it'll eventually show up in your conduct. If it never shows up in your conduct, challenge your faith, right? If you've never changed, I'm not saying you don't have problems. I don't, I'm not saying you don't step in the spiritual mud puddle every now and then. <laughs> And need to, need to get washed by the water of the word again. I'm not saying you don't. No, you know. I'm not saying that Christians don't mess up and sin. They do. But thank God we have an advocate, a lawyer with a father that's never lost a case. And when you confess your sin, he forgives you, right? But if you never care about confessing your sins and you just do and you just do and you just act just like you always do, dead faith, right? Got it? So G James also mentions Abraham uh, offering his son as a sacrifice at God's command, and, and Abraham is an example of, of faith that shows that it's faith by what it does. So he believed that God promised him a whole bunch of children, as many as the sand on the sea, sea, seashore, try to say that together, and the stars in the sky. And so God said, well, I'm, I'm going to see if this boy means what he says. In Genesis 22, you can read the story. He said, Abraham, I tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go up to Mount Moriah. I want you to take an entourage of people, you know, because they didn't travel alone. I want you to take your son. I want you to go sacrifice your son to him. Abraham didn't bat an eye. And now God, he waited 25 years for that boy to be born. And then, and then the boy's, you know, 15, 16 years old. And, and, uh, and God says, now I want you to sacrifice him to him. Well, where's all the sand on the seashore people? And where's all the star? Where's all my, where's all my ancestors? Where's all the people that are going to be born if you kill my son? He didn't say that. He said, okay, God. Why did he do that? He thought God was able to raise his son from the dead if necessary. Huh? He was going to obey God. See, his faith was demonstrated by what he, he went up to the mountain, had the twigs on his son's back, had the fire kindling in his hand, and, and uh, you know, he found a place to sacrifice his son. He put the, kindling, he put the twigs on the ground, and, uh, and, he, and, and his son said, well, well Daddy, where's the, where's the sacrifice? Where, where's the lamb? And he said, God will, Jehovah Jireh. God will provide one. <laughs> See, Abraham believed. He acted on what he believed. That's the issue. Then he grabbed his son, said, come here, boy, and roped him up. Said, what you doing? God told me to say, no, daddy, not me, not now. I got a whole life to live. And God made a promise. I'm your child to promise. My, my name means laughter. Ha, ha, ha. I'm not laughing. What are you doing? Right? 
right? And Abraham believed God so much that he's, he got the life up in the air and he's ready to kill his son. Ah! And the angel said, don't you do it. You not even held your only son from me. You're the father of faith. I'm going to use you to bless the whole world. You prove by what you do that you believe, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's awesome. And that's what James said. But you don't want to, want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Don't you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, it seems like the Bible's talking out of both sides of its mouth. Wait, wait, I thought we're saved by grace through faith and not by works. No, again, works don't save you. They're a product of your faith and show what's inside of you. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by what we believe. We're saved by Jesus' sacrifice. But when you apply Jesus' blood sacrifice to your life and you ask him to come and cleanse your sin, he makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. All things become new. So there's some friends you got to say, dude, you either change that or I just can't do that anymore. Or there's some things you've been doing. Say, God, I don't want that anymore. I'm I, I trying to do that, but I can't. Right? Because conviction's there. Faith is there. And where there is faith, there should be actions that show it. Right? So, so see if you can detect faith here. Here's another example of faith in David's life. I'm just going to read. Can I just read this? And as I read, I want you to look and see if you can detect David's faith by what he says and by what he does. See, faith does two things. It will speak and it will act as much as it possibly can. You get it? So just listen to 1 Samuel 17. It's a story everybody perhaps knows, but here it is. Don't worry, and this is New Living Translation. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Now look for faith again. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since he was a little boy as you. But David persisted. I'll, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion and a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me... I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this both to lions and bears. Hmm. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he's defied the armies of the living God. Now, 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 now David's a red-haired, freckle-faced little boy, 16 or so. Here's this big old giant. That dude's twice his tight, right? <laughs> he said, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you, son. I'm going I'm to mess with you. I lost my place. Hang on. Oh, there it is. The Lord who rescued, I'll do this to the pagan Philistine. He's defied the armies of the living God. Verse 36, 37. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Is that talking faith? He better be talking some faith because it don't look good. Right? Saul finally consented. The king did. All right, go ahead, he said. May the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword on it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in this, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's back. Just the very act that he went to the stream and he picked up the stones. What does that tell you? He believed that God could do something for him. He thought he could whoop that giant, and all the odds were stacked against him, right? They're probably 20 to zero that he's going to whip this man, right? And so um, he picked up five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his shepherd's bag, then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. So he's got his bag, he's got his stones, he's got his shepherd's rod, he's got his sling, and he's hoofing it across the field, and he can probably see the giant. Who's defying me? You're, I'm going to make you food for the birds. Who do you think you are? He just keeps running. He never stopped. He never stopped running. 
In fact, he might have said, that boy needs to shut up. I'm going to run faster. Because he had faith, right? Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer. He had somebody ahead of him with a shield. Sneering and contempt at this ruddy-faced boy, red-haired, freckle-faced. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here. I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath. Yeah. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defy today. Watch. Faith, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. I'm sure that everybody's going, <laughs> laughing. And everybody, I think I missed, oh yeah. And then I'll give your dead bodies uh, of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbled, fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. And I would add, and faith, he had no sword. Is that good? Now, you just need to go back and read that. See, see, what does that tell you? Faith and words. Faith and actions go together, right? Can, can I cut to the chase here? I need to drink water before I say this one. Are you ready for what I'm going to say? That's going to bring COVID back. Get your shot, six feet apart, put on your mask. Don't get out in public. What are you going to do? In the name of practicality, some say, well, I better stay home doing what they say. Number one, the masks don't work. The vaccines don't work. Your immune system does. And the faith in God does. So if you say you're a person of faith, but you never come out your house, and if you do, you tiptoe in with three masks on, and you see somebody walking down the street, Are you demonstrating faith? I know that's kind of strong. And I know some people don't like that, but you'll just have to not like it because it's the truth. Yes or no? I don't care what political persuasion you are. Faith is faith, fear is fear, and doubt is doubt. And you can't have faith and fear at the same time. Now, here's what keeps coming to my mind from the Holy Ghost. John G. Lake, go read his writings, South Africa. The bubonic plague broke out. People were dying. He had, he had bunches of people in his church drop dead from the bubonic plague. And he began to pray and believe God, and people got raised up. People got healed. The authority said, man, you better watch it. You're putting your hands all over these people. And they would die with a frothy foam coming from their mouth. And they say, he, the people with the uh, medical authority say, you better watch this. You're going you're gonna to die yourself of the bubonic plague. He said, I won't get the bubonic plague. He said, when that plague hits me, it dies. And so they took, I know this is nasty sounding, but this is what you can read about it yourself. They took the, the foam from the mouth of the, some of the people that died from the plague and put it, he said, put it in my hand. And once you let it stay in my hand a little bit, not long, but then once you, once you put it in my hand, then you go put it under your microscope and you'll find those disease germs are not moving. They're dead because the very power of God that's on me killed them. And that's what happens. Now that's in history and you can read about it. 
That's why you don't have to be afraid. Now, if you're afraid, the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. So listen to me in the future. See, can I talk? You're going to hear this? In the future, those that want to control the world with the spirit of Antichrist, they're going to kind of control you two ways, with your health and with your ability to buy and sell. And if you don't acquiesce to their wishes, then they're going to make life very difficult for you, try to ostracize you. So what you going to do? If you walk by faith, you'll say, my God will provide for me if he needs to bring my breakfast in a dog's mouth in a bag, a paper bag. Or if, like I mentioned a few Sundays ago, Elijah was fed from a raven's mouth as he sat by a brook. If God's got to bring a bird on your deck and he lands with your favorite salad in his mouth. Or if you just say, food, grow. And maybe you plant some seeds in the ground and your food grows supernaturally. God fed two million people with manna for 40 years. You think he can take care of you? So I'm just telling you, a lot of people are going to fail this test. You hear what I'm saying? A lot of believers are going to fail the test of faith because they've used to act on what they believe in the future. Now, why am I teaching you this? Because in the future, we're going to be challenged. Did you hear me? Now, I don't, I, I'm preparing for the challenge. How am I preparing? Number one, I'm getting a good dose of the Word of God in my head, and I'm meditating to get it in my heart. And then I'm saying what I believe. And I'm saying, you know, regardless of what happens in the world, God's going to take care of me and my family. If he's got to bring a whole pack of dogs to feed my family, he'll do it. If he's got to bring a whole, whole covey of birds to feed my family, he'll do it. God will make a way if you believe. Right? I'm reminded I told this story last year when I taught on faith. Lester Summerall, who died in 1996 at, at age 83, he was a wonderful man of God, preached the word so strongly. His father, he, um, he had an inherited faith, he would say, and his uh, mother. Anyway, his father worked for the railroad and uh, as a welder, and he looked up one day, and a big shard of molten metal fell into his eyeball, blinded him, and he could no longer see, and he lost his job, and family lost their financial resources. So they had nothing, and she, his mother had a bunch of kids, and then one of them's Lester, and he said over and over again, my mother after my father became invalid. She said, she, her boy, her family, her children, asked God to provide meals for them. He said, my mother, after she prayed, she would set the table. She would set the glasses, pour water in them. She would set the plate and put the, put the let me get this right, put the fork and the knife and then the spoon on the other side. Is that right? Ah, whatever it is. You know what it is. I got it wrong. Put the napkin, have everything just right. And then she would just sit there and just praise God for feeding her family. He said time after time again, they'd hear a rustling on the stoop of the porch right outside the door. Open the door, here's a, here's a big old basket with a whole meal in it. And she'd tell the family, it's time to eat, supper time. She'd put the basket on the table, they'd sit down, she'd say grace, and they'd eat over and over and over. Could you trust God that way? Huh? Can you believe you receive, talk like you receive, and act as much as you can like you receive that way? That's where what we may need to do. That's what we ought to be doing now, right? So the issue today is faith always has actions that back it up, or it's not real faith. I, I told this one on my podcast a few podcasts ago, and you may have heard this. 1978, I was in my first Bible school. And uh, I got a stomach bug of some kind, and I tell you, it was from the gates of hell. It was just, I want you to know, bad. I was, uh, I mean, uh, everything went bad, and I was throwing up, and everything else goes with it. And uh, at school, I said, Jesus, Father God, I got to get home. And I was asking him to heal me, and I got, got no better real fast. So I said, well, I'm going to make a beeline home, and whatever I got to do, I'm going home. I, was, I could hardly move. It hurts. You know what it's like. I had food poison, and I assume it was just terrible. So I got home, and when I got home, about, you know, 15-minute drive home, uh, opened up. when I opened up the door, my mama was cooking collard greens. 
You know what collard greens smell like when they cook? They smell nasty. She had collard greens, peas. She had collard greens, peas, ham, and cornbread in the rounds, you know, in the, in the uh, pan. And I said, and when I got to the door, I actually had a gagging reflex. <laughs> Mama going over there. <laughs> and I ran to the room and laid down on my bed. And I'm saying, Lord, thank you. For, I, need, I need healing from my body, Lord. I was believing God. And my mother just come back, knocked on my door. I said, yes, ma'am. I had my door shut because it smelled raunchy, nasty. She knocked on the door. <laughs> and she said, Mitch, you can do what you want to with this. I said, what? She said, the Lord said. Now, it's a true story. You remember this? Mom's watching from home. Hi, Mom. <laughs> she said, Mitch, the Lord told me, you do what you want to with it. He told me if you'll go get you a plate of food and sit down there at the bar. We had a bar in the kitchen. And, and sit right there and eat that, every drop of it, you'll be completely healed. I said, Mama, if I do that, I'll throw it all up on the floor right beside you. She said, do what you want to do then. And she left. <laughs> and she just left, shut the door back. And I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do now? <laughs> And I got to thinking, I don't feel good now. It can't hurt. I'm about to chuck now. now I'm about to throw it up now. What's it going to hurt? So I walked in there, and I got that plate, y'all, and collards, peas, ham, cornbread, sat down. And we're sitting down like. <laughs> and you know what? I put the first bite in my mouth, put some collards and peas, ham. I know some of you don't like ham. Get over it. Acts 10, Acts 10, Acts 10. Don't call common what God's cleansed. And I stuck the ham in my mouth and got me a piece of cornbread. And I chewed that thing up, swallowed it, and I was ready to barf, you know. And I got the second bite. And then I got the third bite. And you know what? The more I bit, the less I felt bad. And just like my mama said, I cleaned that plate. And it all left. And that taught me a lesson about works that correspond with faith. And I've never forgot it. You hear me? It's March the 6th or 7th, 1985. That flu bug said, hi, I'm going to pay you a visit. And it was real bad. I was gunked up and messed up, couldn't breathe and hacking and coughing and wheezing and had a fever, felt awful. Susan and I were in our first home. Remember that house? And, uh, and I was laying there on the bed, and I had called my secretary and canceled all my appointments for the day. I worked at a large church in Oklahoma. And uh, everybody okay? Because I'm about done. But anyway, I've, heard you talk, I've, heard, I've told this story before. It bears repeating in context. I'm laying there on the bed. I'm listening to healing scriptures. Kenneth Hagin had healing scriptures on a cassette tape at the time. I had that thing running. I'm listening to those things because faith comes by hearing the word. And while I'm laying there, and I'd already called my secretary and said, cancel, I'm not coming in today because I'm hacking and wheezing and, and got a fever. Believe in God. I believe I received, but this is my circumstance I'm dealing with. And I'm laying there, and the Lord said, Mitch, well, people are up. You need to get up and praise me for healing you. I said, Lord, I don't feel like putting one foot on the floor. He said, I didn't ask you what you felt like. Get up and praise me. And I'm not kidding. I got up off the bed. You know, when you have a fever, every part of you feels bad. And I just hurt. So I got up, you know, and kind of, okay, whatever you say, Lord. And I began to worship God. See, then believe they his word, Psalm 106, 12, they sang his praise. So I walked, we had, you know, the wall, and then you got the, you had a poster bed. So I'm walking from one wall around the side of the bed to the other wall. And I'm just walking back. I did that for about 10 minutes. And the whole time I'm just saying, Lord, I thank you for healing my physical body. Jesus said, whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive, you'll have. So right now I don't feel like I'm healed. It doesn't look like I'm healed. But I believe I receive my healing. So I just want to thank you for healing my body. I've asked you to heal me from this terrible flu thing in Jesus' name. Thank you. Lord, thank you. And I just walked around. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you. And sing a little song. I just croaking it out like a frog. I just want to thank you. And I was just worshiping. About 10 minutes, something poured down on me. I don't, I can't describe it. All of that left. The fever broke. I sweated my clothes wet. And all that left, the congestion just, just, I coughed it right away. 
And uh, it all left immediately. And it taught me another lesson about acting on what you believe. My encouragement when you believe in God, do as much as you can to act your faith. Yes or no? So that's for healing. Ten years ago, September 1, in fact, ten years ago this past Friday, we actually moved to this property that we upfitted. This property right here, and, uh, you know, a lot of you were here then. Some, many of you weren't, but it was a big faith deal. When we first, uh, February 1st of that year, we entered into contract to purchase this property, and uh, we got a really good deal on this property, and I bought it from the owner, and um, there was a church here, but they had dwindled down in size, couldn't uh, make the mortgage payment, and so the owner of the property had to come back. They actually were, I think they were, must have been leasing, oh, he had to take it back, that's what happened. Uh, it must have been leasing it from him, leased on, whatever, and he had to take it back. So anyway, bottom line was I entered into contract to purchase this property. And the contract said you got 60 days to secure financing. Well, we didn't have the money in the bank to pay for this property at the moment, so I knew I had to get a, a loan and then pay the loan off. So, uh, so I, I said, Lord, I believe this is you and because I'd been believing God. We had been believing God to board enough property. And, uh, anyway, we entered into contract on a Friday, February 1, uh, to purchase this property at 60 days. That means April 1, we've got to have the financing in place with a certificate from the bank saying, you got it from us, we're good to go, and that, that makes the contract good. Or, or if you don't do this, then there's another entity that wants this property, and there's a, there's a contract called the second right of refusal. That is, if you don't get the money in 60 days, this second contract automatically goes into effect, and this second entity gets the property as long as they got the financing. And sure enough, it, we went 60 days. We interviewed 11 banks, 11 in my office, bankers. They came to my office. And I told them all my stuff. We showed them our financial portfolio. And they said, wow, you, you got your ducks in a row. And I thought, I thought the first one would say, yeah. And they said, well, we can't do it because you uh, are not part of a denomination. And we're non-denominational. And we don't have denominational backing like a lot of churches, you know. And they were, you know, denominational people by and large. with the bank. And so he said, can't do it. Second one, same thing. Third one, fourth one, fifth one. Now, you know, it could be my, my little lip is dragging the ground. Ain't nobody like us. Ain't nobody wanting to help us. But you know what I did, Father? I prayed. Father God, I want to thank you that you answer prayer. This property, I believe you had me enter into contract, and we've got the money we need to purchase this property in Jesus' name. So third bank, fourth bank, fifth bank, sixth bank, seventh. Would you give up? Faith never quits. And it'll get down to the 23rd hour, 59th second, and it's still smiling. Well, I want to do everything but smile. So seventh bank, eighth bank, ninth bank, tenth bank. Well, we'll lend you half of it. I said, I don't need half. I need the whole thing. He said, well, you're not a denomination. I said, God bless you. Shouldn't have done that, I know, right? God bless you. Real big. Double blessing on the Lord. And here's what I said, Lord, I only need one bank. To say yes. I, I don't care if 10 said no. I just need one to say yes. The next one, you know what happened? They said, whoop, we'll do it. I said, thank you, Jesus. Well, we got down to April 1. Well, uh, um, March 31. And we don't have the paper in our hand. And I know full well the owners of the property are going to say, you got your piece of paper from the bank. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's 4.30, it's 4.45. Business day, Monday, it's a Monday, uh, 455, 456, 457, 458, 459, ding, 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 five o'clock, and I don't have the paper. I said, Lord, I prayed, and here I believe I received. Thank you for the financing in Jesus' name. You get it? Get it? Now, how would you feel? It's like, Jesus, what am I? Oh, I said, uh uh uh. There is a rest in faith. Now, your flesh might want to do all kinds of things. But you just got to say, get you behind me. And, you know, and you just saying, I was just worshiping the Lord. You know what? At 520, uh, we, <laughs> the guy called uh, that owned the property, and he said, well, we were really busy today. We were coming by, get, pick up your certificate from the bank, your piece of paper, you know, acknowledge it. And he said, but, you know, if you just don't mind, we'll, we'll wait till 8 o'clock in the morning. I said, oh, I don't mind. I don't mind at all. <laughs> Not at all. That's real good. Real good. Sure enough, the next morning. Uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, the bank 
sent us the piece of paper. We had it in our hand. And then the guy came by. We just handed him the piece of paper. Is that good? So, so what I didn't do is I didn't write a rubber check, right? See, faith is for what you don't have, but God promised and takes its place until it shows up. So you can shout, shout, sing, praise, and just be normal and not cuckoo until God answers the prayer, right? And say, I've done that with healing. I've done it with finances, circumstances. We've, this is what the uh, one, two, three, fourth property we've had here. And then we just built this crazy piece of building over here, and that took five years, and we believe God. Now, where are you at? What do you need? Where are you at? If you believe God, all things are possible to him who believes. Build your faith up. Meditate in the word. Say what you believe in as much as you can. Act like you believe. And in the future, when it looks bleak, and whoever says whatever, you got to be willing to say, but my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And if you'll act on what you believe, God will certainly come through for you. Might not work for your neighbor. No, faith is individual and personal for you. Does that make sense? Did y'all get something out of this?